0: John's already mentioned we're uh, going to be looking at the second uh, chapter of Joshua this morning Um, and uh, just for the benefit of those who weren't here last week I'm just going to put the very first slide that Jonathan started off with last week just so you have a very brief overview of of what it is we're looking at uh, or or just the, the start of Joshua there. I've got this uh, on, yeah. Okay, so just a very, very brief background to uh, Joshua. But again, for the, for the sake of those who uh, weren't able to be here last week, the book starts following the death of Moses and gives the account of the conquest of Canaan. Timeline about 3,400 years ago, so 1,406 BC to 1375 BC. The author commonly known or thought of as being Joshua himself, and the earliest transa- translation around about second century BC. Um, and Jonathan just briefly mentioned that that was quite important because Jesus would have known these, uh, these verses. Jesus would have known this book uh, when he was here on earth as well. and it's basically a historical uh, book from the perspective of Israel. Okay, so that's just a brief uh, summary, a brief overview there. Uh, Okay, now, I don't know if you're like me, do you ever agree to do something without knowing exactly the the detail of what it is you're going to be doing when it comes to it? Yeah, okay, well that's me today actually, (laughs) I'm sorry to say this, yeah, Jonathan asked me months and months ago would I do this date, but he didn't know what the subject was going to be. So, so that's fine, yeah, until a month or so ago and it comes through and it's Rahab. And you'll find out what it's about in a moment. But, um, yeah, so my answer might have been different. So well, I might have asked for a different <laughs> week, maybe. But we're here. We're here. But, but actually, having looked at it, what really came out straight away almost was that things aren't always as they seem, Okay. So, and this goes for a lot in the Bible where we've seen things or we've read verses uh, and we've maybe missed actually what, what the main story is. So I'm just gonna ask Andy just to uh, put, a, put a brief video up just for us.
1: But you can't see this dot. No, seriously, if now you this, close your left eye, stare at one, this crosshair with your right you eye. If
0: you want to, you can move your head back into like that. Okay, okay I won't think you're crazy, but I don't know whether maybe it'll work here on the big screen.
1: The cells at the back of your eye transform light into signals that are sent to your brain. But they are missing right here because this is where nerves and blood vessels connect to the eye. So anything at that point in your vision, you can't see, aka your blind spot. If we add a line through the image and you try again, you'll notice that your brain fills in information and makes you think the line is continuous instead of there being a hole in your vision. You also can't see all 12 of these black dots at once for a similar reason. Go ahead and try. Chances are you'll only see a fraction of them at once. The exact point your eye looks at is focused, but your peripheral vision isn't great and so your brain often makes assumptions for what's there. Because of the consistent gray line pattern, your brain assumes the rest of the image is just like that and misses the black dots until you look directly at them. These two rectangles are flashing out of phase with each other, right? How about now? For most, the rectangles will now seem to be flashing at the same time, in phase, but they aren't at all. And yet, if we move these shapes beside them just a few pixels, you'll begin to see them out of phase again. The surrounding area has a direct impact on how you see and perceive things, even if the result isn't correct. Not convinced? Look at these flashing squares. Except, what you might not have seen is that the middle square isn't flashing at all. If we remove the outer square, we see it for what it is. A solid color. Now, try reading the sentence inside it. Did you catch the extra word? Your brain doesn't always notice mistakes like these because it doesn't affect your comprehension of the sentence, and your brain would prefer to act quickly rather than to be perfectly accurate. Try staring at the middle dot in this illusion. When the picture isn't moving, the colors are clearly changing quickly, yet when the image starts rotating, the color change either seems non-existent or much slower. Our eyes and brain have evolved to see, but our vision makes assumptions based on learning, memory, and expectation, and all of these illusions take advantage of this adaptation. It's an advantage to have rapid information processing, so instead of taking in every bit of detail to be 100% accurate, which would cause a brain overload, your brain may makes assumptions. This faster perception allows for faster reflexes and faster conscious and unconscious decisions, an integral aspect of human nature. Much like this halo, if you stare at the center dot for long enough, the brain will simply make it disappear. It makes an assumption that the information is unchanging or unimportant, and as a result, you can't see it. Love tricking your brain with illusions? We've put together a playlist of our favorite ones that you can watch by clicking the screen. Don't forget to subscribe for
0: more Good. Did you all get a few few of those at least? Yes, yeah, okay. But just an example that when we often look at things, we actually don't see all of it. uh, And we can certainly miss quite a lot of it and what's going on. And that's certainly the case uh, with the story of Rahab. Um, I'm not sure about you, but when I think of the book of uh, Joshua, my mind sort of automatically moves ahead to the army. You think often of the army walking around the city for seven days, blowing trumpets and and, uh, and, and uh, shouting and the walls come tumbling down. And quite often a lot of the, 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 the chapters that come before are almost a bit of a precursor to the big event, to the main event of the, the walls coming tumbling down. So when we look at the story, for example, of Rahab and the spies, it's very easy to just skip through and summarize it as something like, uh, right, okay, they're about to go. Joshua sends a couple of blokes out on a bit of a spying mission there. And to look at Jericho in particular, there's not actually much spying goes on. Uh, When we read the verses you'll see in a second there. Um, uh, But somehow they end up hidden on Rahab's roof. She covers them up uh, at the door. They haven't seen the king's men, uh, and, and the king's men get sent off on a wild goose chase. Rahab helps them to escape, and the spies return to Joshua and say, "No problems. The land's ours." Okay. So we're going to read the verses. If you, uh, if uh, Andy's going to put the verses up, if you can turn in the if you've got one of the church Bibles to uh, page two hundred and six. Uh, we're going to read. Uh, Joshua chapter 2 and then just a couple of verses from chapter 6. Okay. So it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittin to, to go over. He said, go over and look at the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of, the some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went, go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt, yes, yeah, for you, when you came out of Egypt, and when you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, "'whom you completely destroyed. "'When we heard of it, our hearts sank, "'and everyone's courage failed because of you, "'for the Lord your God is God in heaven above "'and on the earth below. "'Now then, please swear to me by the Lord "'that you will show kindness to me by my family, "'because I have shown kindness to you. "'Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives "'of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills, So that that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house... "'If any of them go outside of the house into the street, "'their blood will be on their own heads. "'We will not be responsible. "'As for those who are in the house with you, "'their blood will be on our head "'if a hand is laid upon them. "'But if you tell what we are doing, "'we will be released from the oath you made us swear.' "'Agreed,' she replied. "'Let it be as you say.' "'So she sent them away, and they departed.' and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all day, sorry, all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down, out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And just a few verses from chapter 6, verses uh, 22 to 25. So this is after the, uh, after the attack. There, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men of Joshua. Sorry, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Amen. Just, uh, just Press on a few here. And one second. So, say it's very easy often to skip over um, the, uh, the, the detail of the story here. So, we're going to start off just by uh, looking quickly at uh, Jericho. Um, What was Jericho like at this time? Okay. Jericho was basically a godless place. Jericho was a godless place. It was a place where pretty much anything goes. Uh, And in particular, we see it's a place where there was a lot of worshipping of false gods. Um, And even down to the extent of child sacrifice uh, in some of the stuff that uh, was going on there. So... It wasn't really a great place there. Just one question that we need to ask really right from the outset is, why, given that the book of Joshua is primarily about the people of Israel, the children of Israel taking over the land there, so it's all about conquering the land, etc., why is the, um, right, right at the outset uh, of, of, the, uh, of the book... Is this story of Rahab there, right at the beginning? Not only there, but it takes a full chapter uh, right at the beginning of Joshua. Um, For the answer to this, we need to actually just look briefly at the book of uh, Deuteronomy. You can turn to this if you like to. I'll just read these verses out here. Um, And this is really important because it's about how God is going to deal with uh, the people that the children of Israel are going to conquer. So in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 to 18, there are explicit instructions given for how the cities are going to be attacked. Uh, it says this, uh, it says, When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. If they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, lay siege to that city. When the Lord your God uh, delivers it into your hand, put to the sword all the men in it. As for the women and children, the livestock and everything else in the city, uh, you may take these as plunder and you, may use, uh, sorry, and you may use the plunder the Lord your God gives to you for your enemies. This is how you are to treat all the cities that are a distance from you and not belong to the nations nearby. However, and these verses are specifically talking about places like Jericho, says, however, the cities of the nations the Lord uh, Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave anything alive in it that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all of the detestable things that they do in worshipping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. So the word to God's people going to Jericho was actually, do not leave anything alive that breathes. Okay, and that's just important as we look at the uh, the story of of Rahab, so so the context for the uh, imminent attack of, on Jericho is that nobody uh, is to uh, nobody is to be spared, because the things that they do are detestable uh, to God in worship. <clears throat> and why is that? Well, it's because God is a holy God. God is a holy God, and He cannot look upon sin. And guess what? 3,400 years on, God still can't look upon sin. Okay? He can't look upon sin. Um, And what's more, for anyone who's not aware of it, we're all caught up in that. The Bible tells us that we're all caught up in that. Unpalatable and unpopular uh, it is to most people of our generation... We're all caught up in sin. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Just go back there. Yeah. So Romans chapter three, verse twenty-three, it says, "All have sinned and fall short of God's standard." In one John one verse eight, it says, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." I don't know about you, but I find this quite tough. Really, this is one of the toughest parts of the message of the gospel. Um, to communicate. And it's even more difficult to try and communicate to a generation and people who think they're okay, actually, and that life's sorted. Uh, This whole idea of sin uh, is one of the most difficult areas. And it always has been. You only have to look at the Gospels and Jesus' words in the Gospels uh, as he has these routine discourses with the religious leaders of the day to see uh, how difficult it was to communicate the fact that these guys were were sinful, religious though they might have been. Uh, and it always is going to be. I found this article, or somebody showed me this article here uh, from the Telegraph just over a week ago, this is. Um, don't, don't need to read it all there, but basically it's of a, it's, a, it's of a school, a Church of England school, this is. A Church of England school... Um, where the headmaster has reluctantly, by the looks of it, had to ban uh, a Christian organisation from going in or Cross Teach uh, there because they've been instructing children about sin uh, at assemblies. Um, and this is the country we live in now, where in the Church of England school you can't actually talk about sin. Uh, and, and what, what might happen at all. And it's the basis, <laughs> it's the basis of the gospel message there. And it's one that really without, um, without uh, starting off at that point, <laughs> you know, where do you go with the gospel then if people don't think they need savings? There's nothing to be saved from. Okay, so that's, that's our generation right here, right now uh, that we live in. But back to the story of uh, Rahab, Uh, so against the backdrop that she's a resident now in a city uh, that will soon be under attack from an army that has been instructed to leave no survivors. That's Rahab's position. Okay, so who is Rahab? Who is Rahab? Um, Well, there's no getting around the fact, actually, that uh, from in verse 2 and then repeated, Uh, Throughout the the verses there, Rahab is a a prostitute. She's known to be a prostitute. But as with all parts of the Bible, we just need to step back a second and just have a look at the, uh, and understand the, you know, her position in the context of the prevailing culture. There's no mention at this point at all of Rahab being married, so we have to assume that uh, she's single uh, at this time. And for a woman in Rahab's position in a city like Jericho, uh, there were very, very few options as to how you survived, how you could earn a living there. And the most common there were either being a slave or a prostitute. So those were really the two options that were open to her. The other thing to say about that is, as well is, bearing in mind the culture of Jericho at that time actually what Rahab was doing was, was actually nothing abnormal, yeah? She was part of a culture where that kind of thing, where anything goes, was actually accepted. So, again, we just have to uh, bear those things in mind before we sort of put a stamp of whatever we want to on Rahab, of where she lived, the culture, and the fact that what she did was almost a normal part of society. One other aspect of the culture uh, of, of Jericho at the time of Rahab uh, was it, it was very often the role or the responsibility of the women um, to be concerned for and to take immediate care of their family in particular, even distant family. No change there, then. I see a few people thinking, yeah? Yeah, but yeah, it was the responsibility of the women often to take care of the family. And there's real good evidence, actually, that Rahab took this responsibility really seriously. The flax on the roof that's mentioned in the story there and the crimson cord are both actual signs that Rahab, uh, Rahab had another occupation, if you like, which was making clothes for her family from this flax and making the cord. Uh, and probably actually made extra with the amount she had to hide these people to sell just to be able to scratch a, a living there so rahab actually took these caring responsibilities uh really quite well and it's certainly not a story for today at all but one you can look on but if you read on and you read uh, in the very beginning of matthew you actually find rahab listed as a as a descendant of jesus So Rahab uh, was listed as a descendant of Boaz, uh, ultimately down to King David, ultimately down to Jesus. So you can take a look at that, if you like, in Matthew. Okay, so the burning question is, what on earth were the two Israelite spies doing in Rahab's house? (laughs) Okay. it's the obvious question that uh, comes out there I guess so an- answers on a postcard later to uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we don't know for sure actually so you can't jump to conclusions here in any way because actually it was very very common for someone in Rahab's position to actually open up her home as an inn so the house of a prostitute would, would routinely be uh, used uh, as an inn as well. So visitors to the city could quite easily be directed to the house of Rahab uh, if they were looking for somewhere to, to stay and particularly if they were wanting to be a little bit discreet as well maybe. Um, and this is really supported by the words that so we read in the uh, in the verses there, that the king's men came to Rahab's house. And the probability is that the reason the king's men of all the rest of the city came to Rahab's house was because they would know it was used as an inn uh, where visitors might uh, might actually stay. Um, might get a bit more than they bargained for, but that's my, uh, where they might stay. And in the case of the two spies, they certainly got more than they bargained for. So, after hiding them on the, uh, after hiding them on the roof there, uh, and being selective in the truth, shall we say, uh, in terms of sending the king's men off on this wild goose chase, uh, Rahab wastes no time in actually getting down to life and death business with the spies. If we look at uh, re, just have a quick look again at verses um, uh, eight to eleven. There, verses eight to eleven uh, says this: Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, "I know that the Lord has given you this land to you, and to, sorry, I know this. The Lord that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us." so that all who live in this country are melting with fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Um, So, they'd heard how how God had actually done things, amazing things like drying up the the water on the Red Sea, uh, and how they they'd had these stories, somehow these stories of what God had been doing, these great things that God uh, had been doing, um, had somehow made it into this city that, that we're, we're told is detestable, had nothing and knew nothing with God, didn't want anything to do with God, uh, and yet these stories had come in. I was really intrigued by that, um, as to as to why that might happen. Uh, There And it caused this great unrest. It says people were melting in fear. Hearts were sinking and courage failing. So we actually know from this that the people of Jericho did know about God. They knew about great things that God had done. But sadly, whilst they knew about it and they'd heard it, they'd actually failed to acknowledge it. They'd actually failed to acknowledge God and to seek his mercy. All except one, that is, of course, who was Rahab. So here we have Rahab, who was probably described, you would say, as the lowest of the low, living in a dark and an evil and godless place. And yet even there, she heard and acknowledged God who he was she she acknowledges God as the Lord of the heavens and the earth in that situation Rahab recognized the hopeless situation that she and her family uh, and indeed everybody around her was in and yet she responded by seeking mercy from the only source of mercy that was available So, having secured the agreement with the spies that she and her family would be saved, Rahab then lets the spies escape from her window. But before they disappear, the spies instruct Rahab to tie some scarlet cord to her window and emphasise that she and her family uh, must stay in the house so that when the invasion takes place, all those in the house will be saved. (coughs) Okay, question. Can anyone think of a parallel to that? Anybody? Sorry? Yep, the Passover. Yep. Yep, the Passover. There's a clear parallel here with the Passover where the Israelites were instructed to uh, paint the lamb's blood above the doors so that the firstborn would be saved when God passed over Uh, the nation of Israel there, there's this clear parallel uh, there. Okay, so towards the beginning of uh, when I started to speak a while ago, uh, I asked a question, which was given that the book of Joshua is primarily about God's people taking uh, possession of the promised land by force. Why does this detailed story of the encounter of Rahab and the spies appear and take up a full chapter right at the beginning of the book? And this is the reason. This is actually the reason for it. Because those words before were talking about total annihilation. These people were detestable. There was nothing good about them. So the, pe- the people and the instructions before were get rid, no survivors. No survivors there. And yet here, we see something different going on. And the reason for that is that God is ultimately a God of love. God is ultimately a God of mercy. And God is ultimately a God of of grace. And Rahab acknowledged God and sought mercy and responded. And the reason Rahab is right at the beginning of the book of Joshua is to demonstrate right from the outset that God's grace really uh, knows no bounds. Yeah? That anybody in any situation... Can accept this amazing grace. We were singing about it before. This is amazing grace. Well, this is amazing grace. Yeah, how God enables a woman like Rahab in the place where she was to find grace. And of course, the uh, sorry, the uh, the crimson cord in the window, uh, and the blood above the door of the Passover. There's a clear parallel for us today, isn't there? Whereby the Bible says that all who acknowledge their hopeless situation and confess their sinfulness and receive the forgiveness and new life in Christ are covered and protected and saved by the blood of Christ the Lamb of God, who came to seek and to save that which was lost, to seek and to save that which, without Christ, there was no hope for, there was no other way. But with Christ, there's amazing grace available. I suppose, because we're here in a church environment, it's really easy for me to assume uh, that everybody here today has come to a position of personally accepting Christ uh, as a Savior and Lord. But if you haven't, I just put that challenge out to you before. If this is, if any of this is new to you today, uh, if you haven't heard of the amazing grace of Christ, to pause for a minute and just to <coughs> accept Him as Savior and Lord today. So just pause for a moment and just ask yourself the question, am I absolutely certain that I'm protected by the blood of Christ? We can see that um, from the verses in in chapter 6, that had Rahab not taken decisive action, had Rahab not taken the decisive action to engage with the spies and to secure her salvation, uh, if she'd not taken that action that day, the story and the outcome would have been very, very different indeed for Rahab. So I urge you today that if you haven't taken that step, please do today. Come and speak to myself, John, anybody, that we be a prayer team at the back at the end uh, to, to make that step Uh, of commitment to Christ. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2, says this, Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. You know, for Rahab and the children of Israel at the Passover, they knew that something was going to happen pretty imminently, actually. We don't know that. We don't know when the time is. We know it's going to happen when Christ comes again, but we don't know the time. But the Bible says you don't need to know. Now is the time of God's favour. Now, today, is the day of salvation. So please, don't let that pass by. So as we draw really towards, uh, towards a close, for us as a church... Just to switch to us as a church now, there are actually lots of lessons we can take from this account, but I just want to highlight uh, a few. And I want to do it just briefly against the backdrop of our vision, the vision that we're we're talking and we're we're praying through right now at the moment, um, to go out into the community and to recreate community and to fulfil that Matthew 28 mission that we've been given to go and make disciples uh, of all nations, but in particular of our community right here. I just put this up, not to read, and we're not going to look at it now, uh, but that's the mission, that's, that's part of the vision that we're talking to. Okay. And as we do that, I just want to say highlight a few points that come out of the story of Rahab that are really relevant for us today. Okay. Firstly, nobody but nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. Not Rahab, not the outcast that Jesus spoke to, not the person selling drugs, To kids and young people in Lim High School. Not the whoever you want to fill in the dots who you think is someone who's really, really awful and is beyond redemption. Okay? Nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. Last week, when Jonathan was talking to us, the theme right throughout the whole of chapter one is be strong and courageous be strong and courageous to go into all places even the dark and the desolate places but to do that we need to be strong and courageous and be filled with the spirit of God oops sorry gone on and then we need to share what God has done and is doing you know the the the, the Rahab Rahab wouldn't have known Anything about God had somebody, somehow, we don't know how, who, or what, but had somebody not shared these stories of the great things that God had done, Rahab would not have known that, yeah? So we have to share these stories, share the story uh, of, of what God has done in our lives and in our communities. It's about faith and works, isn't it? Faith and works we need to be praying for and seeking after God, to keep doing greater things in our lives and greater things in our communities. What an amazing thing that is, eh? To seek after God, to be, keep doing, keep doing great things uh, in our lives and in our communities. Such that like Rahab, the people of Liman District will be saying, we've heard, we've heard about this great God. I don't know about you, but I certainly know that I and, and many others in the church at the moment are a sensing, a movement of the Spirit of God and a calling to prayer for revival and a calling to prayer for God to be moving and doing things. And also a sense that the time for that is now, actually. The time for it is now for God to be doing these things. So, in addition to our vision, uh, we've been uh, involved in other things. Uh, sorry, keep flicking forward there. Yeah. Uh, so, in addition to the vision, we engage with the rock conversation, didn't we? And uh, as I've certainly been mentioning at church meetings recently, we're we're sort of quite down the track now in terms of. Uh, the, the, this sanctuary hub project right in the heart of the village there, of the churches of Lim and the people of Lim being able to use that building there for God's purposes, and other things that have come out of the rock conversation. And individuals, I know that individuals are stepping out and getting involved in external groups and clubs. Some people are even forming them. I know there are people in the church here who are forming Uh, external groups and clubs and joining them so that we can get out there into the community to bring this good news of Christ so I conclude with a simple yet I guess profound challenge really is to whether or not or to ask yourself do I want to be a part of this do I want to be a part of this do I want to be a part of this new thing? When we were away at the weekend, the theme there was about God doing a new thing. Do I want to be part of God doing a new thing here in our community? Because he is able. Oh, sorry, God isn't looking for the able, because he is able. He's looking for the available. And he's looking for people who are available and prepared for the Spirit of God to follow. Fan into flame. We sing a song, don't we? Spirit of God, fan into flame. A passion uh, for your name. A passion to serve and to reach out for the lost in our community. And I'll just finish by putting this up here. Those that you, of you that were here a number of weeks ago when Chris was talking about love. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, he was talking about love. And he brought the top centre image up actually on the screen and I went and found a few others and we shared about them that evening, uh, the same evening in the evening, uh, coffee, cake and chat. And my mind just came back to these images here of how God can blow us as seeds into these dry and desolate places, yeah? And make something beautiful, make something beautiful, that stands out that people will see as something beautiful. And then I thought those seeds then, that they the more seeds will then blow into other dry and desolate places. New seeds. People who who hear the good news and accept Christ and seek to share that good news. And so it goes on, this multiplication. Of seeds blown by the spirit into dry and desolate places. And you see there that there's something in common, isn't there, with all of the pictures. Does anyone see what's in common? Anybody? <coughs> Sorry? Just one. It's just one. But the other thing in common with it is is that all of the uh, seeds have actually blown into cracks. They've blown into... Um, <coughs> places that are broken, actually, the broken areas of the surface there. And that's where things might get messy. That's where things might get difficult because for seeds to take place, it might be in the broken, desolate areas there. So i leave that with you. I'll leave that with you and ask God to, uh, to bless that. I'm just going to ask the worship group to uh, come back up. Um, and Andy, if you can put... The words to the to the song that we're going to finish with now. Up on the uh, up on the screen. I'm going to sing. Uh, oh, sorry, not not that one. Is it o- Oceans, yeah, yeah, okay. We're going to sing this song here now, and this is. Uh, I want you to look at the words of this almost as a prayer, actually. Yeah, this is about. As being called out into waters, and all about our faith and about the Holy Spirit uh, uh, working with us. So, as we sing this, really take note of the words in this and about what, what you've been hearing this morning. Amen.